Welcome to another episode of Tell Me More. I'm Luke Stair. I'm here with Dr. Wiles, and today we're having a conversation continuing in Genesis and talking about humanity as God's glory and why people are so religious. Uh, I think it's a fun conversation. I, I enjoyed having it, and I hope that you enjoy listening. So stay tuned. Welcome back to another episode of Tell Me More. I'm Luke Stair. I'm here with Dr. Wiles. Mm-hmm. And I thought today we would start off with a question from one of our own. Okay. Gary Steele posed <laughs> the question of where did the other people come from? So Adam and Eve's kids get married. Right. Who did they marry? <laughs> um, and where did they come from? That's a great question. Well, here's the, I guess the easy answer is we don't know. So first of all, we don't know. The text does not say. The text doesn't tell us. And I think I'd probably also say the text doesn't tell us everything mm. would be my take. We we get the part of the story God wants us to have. <laughs> so we get the story of Adam and Eve and this whole creation account in Eden. And, of course, then you get to Genesis 3 and you have, you know, the, uh, the fall of humanity. And then... You've got these kids that come along, and then Cain gets banished, and where does he go? Was it the land of Nod or uh, not the land of Oz? I always forget that sometimes when I'm thinking about it. <laughs> he didn't go to the land of Oz, it's right? It's not the land of Oz either. <laughs> right? That's something else. That's right. So uh, so was God, um, was there a broader human family that the Lord brought into existence? Apparently. We just don't really know, and so... I usually land on for that question. And to get that question often, as you might imagine, particularly with youth, you know, when they're reading for the first time and they're like, now, wait a minute. Now, where did all these people come from? And and then you've got this whole theological um, interpretation from Paul about Adam, you know, that in Adam we all die. And there's this whole theology of sin, which which I think, you know, obviously Paul is under the inspiration of the Spirit, so I'm going to give him that credit. Um, But where I usually land with, with that question is, I don't really know about all that. Don't think God tells us everything. What I do know is if you keep reading, eventually you can trace yourself back to Noah, though. That's true. <laughs> and his family. So if you can just hold on for a couple more chapters, <laughs> then, uh, <laughs> we definitely can find Noah. What a dynamic family it is, too. <laughs> that's exactly right. So that's probably what I... Thank you, Gary, for that question. But um, short answer, I'm not really sure. Must have been more to this story than the Lord chose to tell us. When I think about the end of John, where we read that there are many more signs, or is it Luke? Now I'm doubting myself, but there are many more signs and wonders. It's John. I shouldn't have doubted myself. (laughs) There are many more signs and wonders that Jesus did that aren't recorded. And if we were to record everything Jesus Mm -hmm. did, there wouldn't be enough books Mm -hmm. to contain it. Mm -hmm. And I think a similar sentiment applies to the first couple of chapters of Genesis. If we had an account of everything. Uh, of everything. Right. There just aren't enough mm-hmm. books. Yeah, think about, I mean, think about the what's in those first two pages. I mean, you know what I mean? Just the... It's quite a bit. <laughs> the account of basically everything that is, is, is shared in two pages, which is remarkable if you think about it, how succinct it is. And uh, I think, you know, last Wednesday in the Bible study, uh, I think maybe it was two Wednesdays ago, when I thought you had a plant in the in the congregation, 
because um, one of our church members said, aren't you glad the Old Testament was written in Hebrew? Wasn't that just an awesome Thank thing? Thank you, Donita. Yeah, and I thought, did Luke, <laughs> Luke Sterich put you at this? Um, but We've been conspiring. But she did have a point. You know, as you've talked before, you've got these this small vocabulary in Hebrew of primarily root words with three letters, three consonants, and somehow know they get a whole language out of it with, what, 22, I think it's 22 letters. 22 letters. letters. So you've got this really limited, guttural, emotional, um, Semitic language that that certainly has its limitations. That that any any linguist linguist would would say, for sure. And yet, because of that, maybe it has just this um, majesty about it in some ways that the, every word's pregnant with meaning. And so mm-hmm. you've got the ability to to craft this story with Hebrew words that have enough meaning to them that it makes sense. The story obviously can read it and it makes sense, but you've got enough um, just room and fluidity to somehow migrate between numerous views about how all this actually happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the beautiful thing about the, the Hebrew text, I would say. I would agree with that. And when I think about how much happens on the first two pages of my Bible, I'll never forget. I was in um, I was in Africa, and uh, um, we had we had stopped for a while in Spain, and we were handing out copies of the Scripture to a group of of um, uh, Muslims who were from Morocco, and they were in transit. They were going either they were traveling back home for holiday, as they call it, or some of them were transporting back into Spain and across Europe, and they crossed the Strait of Gibraltar. There, you know, they ride these ferries. It's really fascinating. It's the largest annual migration of a people group in the world. It happens every year. It's over a million Moroccans leave Europe and travel home. And so they have these massive parking lots uh, there at several of the port cities in Spain. And so uh, I spent about three weeks there one year, both in Morocco and in Spain. So, but we were handing out copies of the, of the scripture. In um, It was in French and Arabic. I'll never forget there was this, this young guy and... Um, and he had a little bit of broken English, and so I handed him a copy. I just said, Ancado, which in French, a gift. And he took it, and, and he asked, and I had a translator with me, what is it? And, and we said, well, it's it's the Bible, you know. And, and he opened it. Well, he read French and Arabic, and he couldn't believe it. He was like, I've, ne- I've never seen one. And I, and so we were like, well, okay. And, you know, here you can read it in your own language. You can read it in your in your um, your theological language, Arabic, mm-hmm. or you can read it in your heart language because he had grown up in France, and he told the guy that. But anyway— well, I turned just in time to see him sit down on this little bench, and I just saw him take it, and he just opened to page one, you know, like he would you would any book, and he started reading, and I thought, I feel like I need to go over there real quick and tell him. Don't start page one. Yeah, hold on, man. It's this, it's this massive story, but he didn't know any better. And then I thought, well, you know what, Lord? I remember praying for him right there in that moment. Page one's pretty good, actually, but, uh, but for someone who has no clue— you know, I would have probably pointed him to John and said, let's, let's talk about Jesus maybe or, you know, We feel Mark. good about page one, but you get to page five and it gets a little hairy. <laughs> That's right. So, but, but you think about what is on the first couple pages of our Bible, an incredible story, well told, uh, almost from, from two vantage points in some ways, or at least facing two directions, depending on your view of it. And wow, what a, what a. What a great opening to this grand narrative, if you will. So, Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and today we're talking about people. Yes. And how humanity is 
just this crowning achievement mm-hmm. of creation. Uh, it's God's glory. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just a lot to unpack mm-hmm. there. Um, I think so. I think we could have easily <laughs> spent several weeks preaching on this alone, mm-hmm. just as we could anything that's come mm-hmm. before it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> when uh, you were preaching, one of the things that came to mind for me was a quote from C.S. Lewis that none of us have ever met a mere mortal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you talked about how we encounter people and the person sitting across the table from you is this mm-hmm. crowning achievement mm-hmm. of creation. Mm-hmm. You've never seen a sunset that compares to the glory that is a human person, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is an incredible thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because you can miss it. And I, that's why I liked that story Eugene Peterson told about his student who said, I'm going out for to observe God's nature, you know, and his <laughs> wife is thinking, I think you need to go to class. And he's talking about riding the bus. But um, I, I'm a people watcher. And so that really resonates with me. Um, you know, I, I uh, sometimes I'll find myself somewhere and uh, and I'll like, you know, I'm about to I'm about to fly to Rome. Okay, so I know I'll be in an airport here. It's the best place to people watch. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. You're in the airport, and it's a, it's a it's a weird place. Once you get inside the airport, if you think about it, you nobody wants to be there. Everybody there's going somewhere else. They're 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 intentionally. I mean, as they work there, they're intentionally there because they 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 they're belonging somewhere else. So it's this interesting little experiment in humanity mm-hmm. <laughs> when you get behind the security line at the airport, a security gate, or whatever. And uh, I often find myself watching people and think to myself, okay, so first of all, what, what do I possibly have to say that would apply to all of these people? Because I'm, I'm just watching there. And now, of course, we've become so cosmopolitan. You can pretty much hear if you're DFW. All, all, I mean, is there a language you won't hear at DFW on a given day? I mean, you hear people talking in all kinds of languages. Yes on their phones or, or whatever, you know, and I'm just watching them thinking, okay, what, what, as a Christian, what do I have to say to all of these people that actually could really apply to them no matter who they are or what they're facing? So I, I usually start there. It's kind of a challenge to me to think, well, okay, I'm looking at that little family right there. After watching them, maybe I, I think I might, I might go with this, you know, or maybe I might ask this question. Um, so it becomes kind of an exercise in my evangelistic sensitivity, so mm-hmm. to speak. But then I usually at some point find myself marveling at just how incredible we all are. <laughs> you know, just the fact that there's all these um, people who represent who knows what kind of family history and lineage, professions, you know, mm-hmm. their abilities and and just all the technology that exists at a modern airport today and how all that came about. And sometimes, I know that may sound weird, some people are just waiting on a plane, but I find myself just sitting there just being overwhelmed with humanity, <laughs> you know, just thinking, Lord, wow, look at what you've done. You've created this amazing array of people, and they have different ways to communicate with each other. They have different skills and abilities. They've all got the ones that are working, different jobs, ways they're creating to the common good, hopefully, you know, and, and of humanity. Um, and and they've all got their own set of challenges and fears and anxieties and worries and histories. And, and some of them are 
on the way to a funeral, you know, they're mourning a loved one. Some of them are moving. They're getting a new job. Some of them are just traveling and having fun. Some of them are, you know, they're on the fifth flight of the day and mm-hmm. <laughs> they're spent. And um, and I, I don't know. I just find myself marveling at human beings. And, and I usually t- intentionally, purposefully try to slow down and just watch and not be weird. Okay. <laughs> you know, But just watch it all unfold in front of me. And I think, that, again, that's why I think I resonated with Peterson's story. Man, that's an amazing, it's as amazing as a sunset. It's, it's as amazing as standing and looking at the Rocky Mountains. I mean, what a display of God's glory and God's creative genius right in front of me, you know. Oh, at it's amazing. Airport, you know, just watching these people. And so, yeah, I think humanity, I, th- I think it's easy to, to you know, to, to just bypass it, you know, and not catch a glimpse of the glory of God that's actually on display in human beings. And um, I'm, I always marvel at it, you know. And uh, I think, too, sometimes when I see people with disabilities, um, that's also something that gives me pause as I watch someone that maybe they're in a wheelchair, they can't walk anymore. You know how sometimes you're at the airport? It, it usually happens to me in the airport. I think it's just because it's such a concentrated Group of humanity, it's a microcosm of <laughs> you know, they're all just kind of right here. And you and you look at some folks that okay, you know they maybe they can't walk anymore, and and um, but you look at them sometimes you think, but they're they're amazing though. You know they're still amazing creations of God or people that are you know that you can tell are are having some challenges. Usually it's physically is what you notice. I still am amazed at at how God put all this together and how creative God is. Another thing that Cindy and I sometimes will joke with each other about is that how how do you take a nose, a mouth, two eyes, two ears, okay, chin or whatever, and create all, and nobody looks, unless they're twins or triplets, nobody looks the same. How do you, how do you take, you know, four or five little ingredients and you look at all these people and you think, look at how different everybody looks and, and you can you can recognize that they just don't look. It's just again, it's amazing. It's, it is. It's creative think, genius. You know. This is just a fun tidbit. I think I read somewhere recently that the amount of information encoded in your DNA that makes just you a human being as opposed to something else right. is about sixteen gigabytes of data. <laughs> Meaning, Whatever that is, that's a lot. Yeah. You have apps on your phone. Yeah. <laughs> you have more photos right. on your phone right. that are more data yeah, than, than what that. it takes to yeah. make you, but still somehow none of us are the same. Right. It's um, amazing, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And all created with potential. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I love I love the whole idea of just that God created human beings. I, I love the two. I'm so glad we have Genesis 2. I love Genesis 1. I mean, my goodness, it, it's um, uh, Kidner points out the nouns and the verbs. You know, you got image and likeness. Well, those are the nouns in verse one, but you got formed and breathed. Well, they're the verbs. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad we have those companions because to me, the, um, the image and likeness, I mean, those, as you know, you're a theologian. We, we've spent, I mean, how many hours as theologians just trying to determine, okay, what does that even mean? Image yeah. of God, likeness and of God. And if you're God. new to theology, there is a yeah. long-running historical yeah. debate about what it means that we are the image of God. Right. You know, just the whole, think about how many books, how many, how much ink has been spilled on just that phrase, image of God. So my goodness, that's incredible. But then you get to this, you know, chapter two, 
And I love that that idea of formed and breathed. I like that. I like the action of that and kind of the description of God involved in this creative process and that he formed humanity, that he, you know, his skill is on display, his his intentionality is on display, his sovereignty is on display because he did it. But uh, man, I so love that breathed and the fact that it's not the normal word, not, not ruach, you know, it's not that normal word for breath. It's this more personal word that just describes God and man. Well, and elsewhere, it's also the word that accompanies this concept of just being alive. Yeah, yeah. You're in the a, Old you're, Testament. Yeah, you're just a, you're whatever we are. You're this living. It's everything what? that has breath. <laughs> yeah, which it's is everything that's alive. Yeah, which is awesome. And I love that that once again, there's Hebrew for you. You get this opportunity to to just sit with something for a little while and really contemplate. You know that how would you word it the way God brought us into being. And so Moses, whoever, says, well, you know, he formed us and then he breathed into us, you know, yeah. this breath of life. And, and then man became a living being. Nephesh, is that right? Man became just this this full example. Nishma, of, yeah, Nishma. Whatever it is of God's <clears throat> creative genius. And here I am, you know. And so I don't know. I, I, I love the personal description in Genesis 2. Well, I think if you... If you read the text in Hebrew, that breath word is intimate. It's the mm-hmm. close, what you can feel yeah. when you're next to someone. But then I think the author of Genesis 2, the author of Genesis, when they wrote that, I think they wanted to make us think of certain images. So God forms man out of dust. But the word that's for, for form is the same word that you use for making pottery. It's forming something yeah, on the wheel. So God even almost, takes yeah. dust and mm-hmm. forms a person like you would. If you've ever thrown pottery, lean over a wheel and mm-hmm. form mm-hmm. a vessel, and then God breathes life into it. I mean, that's the image that I think the Hebrew is trying to convey is this God intimately sits down and forms with mm-hmm. not hands because God doesn't have hands. Right. But that's the ideal behind that word and then breathes into it. Mm-hmm. Incredible, um, really, isn't it? I mean, it's a beautiful passage. Yeah. And like I said, I'm glad we have that companion text because Genesis 1 image and likeness is certainly worthy of theological reflection, of course, my goodness. And it, and you build on it throughout the scripture, you know, and, and and even the whole idea of at salvation as Christians on this side of Jesus, God's now reclaiming all of that and you're being conformed in the image of his son. It's like this, here's the recreative work of God. So, of course, you know, Genesis 1 is awesome. Man, that personal touch of Genesis 2 I feel like this adds so much depth and texture to the story for me, and um, I'm grateful. And I love how it's worded, you know, that idea of God's breath. And I think about that. Of course, we got a brand new grandbaby; he's what four months old now. Um, but you know, I look at little Gideon and just marvel at you know, you know, my son. You know, we were I was with him on Sunday, so here I'm with my son, who's this six foot five, you know, <laughs> two hundred fifty pound giant man now. <laughs> but I well remember holding my son in my hands, you know, he was small enough that I could hold him. And he was a marvel to me, a creation. It was my first son, you know, I had a daughter and now have a son. And, and I can remember my daughter as well. Either one of them, I could say this about, you know, you're just holding this, this life in your hands. And, um, and I look at them today and now both of them have produced another life for us to hold and enjoy. And that, that's just, um, 
you know, when the when the Bible says you're a blessed person if you get to live to see your children and your children's children, well, that's the truth because mm-hmm. it's just it's the marvel all over again of just how the creative genius of God is on display right here. You know, and I was holding Gideon Sunday, and he can't do anything. You know what I mean? He 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 can eat and but he just can't do anything. No, they can't. You know, but it doesn't matter. You know, if you tried to if you tried to hurt him, I would kill you. <laughs> You know what I mean? And he, yes, and, he I do. Can, and he can't do anything. You know, he's just he's just looking at me and he can smile and all that. But there's so much love already and so much potential I see in him. And I'm already watching him change, you know, his expressions and the fact that he now can laugh a little bit. And he's a human, you know. And, uh, you know, just I don't know. It's funny after preaching that sermon Sunday and then meeting them. And I'm I'm walking around this museum here in Arlington with Gideon in my hands, thinking, Lord, you you have blessed me. Not mm. only did I get to preach about this today and marvel about it, now I'm holding one right here in my hands that is just a miracle to me. You know, so yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. <clears throat> it is, but I think we that... can show pictures of Gideon on the podcast. Well, we can't do that, can we? Sorry. Kyle, can we put those in the show maybe, notes? Maybe do we have show notes? I don't know what we have. <laughs> we'll work on that. Um, but I think too, we forget that. This belief that we share that human beings are a miracle is was definitely not a common one in the ancient world. Correct. Um, and the fact that it is a common one in the world we live in today mm-hmm. is because of the groundwork that Christianity laid within Western culture. I mean, mm-hmm. you can go – I mean, I've been to India and mm-hmm. I've been in very poor parts, impoverished parts, and there are things I saw about how humans were treated mm-hmm. as not – people, but as objects or as less than objects that haunt my memories. I mean, Mm -hmm. in the ancient world, that was the norm. That was the norm, yeah. Mm -hmm. If you had a baby you didn't like, you could throw it in the rubbish heap and a slaver would come pick it up and sell it to someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is baffling, isn't it? Right. But it was everyday life. It was. In the ancient world. The dominant assumptions apart from this Jewish worldview that human beings, men and women, and children are made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And so you start with that in Genesis 1, and I think about the arc that that takes all the mm-hmm. way to a book like Philemon, right. yeah. where a slave, an object mm-hmm. in that worldview, mm-hmm. I mean, it's Philemon, Onesimus was an object. He mm-hmm. was a tool. He was not a person right. in Greek culture. and But not to Paul. But not to Paul <laughs> because of Christ and because of what God says about people mm-hmm. in Genesis 1. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's fascinating. I'm I'm reading this biography right now of Abraham Lincoln by John Meacham. Hmm. And uh and in the early part of the biography, he's he's um he's painting the the picture of what uh, just what the cultural conversations were as Lincoln is elected president. And of course it's so much about slavery and you have those very conversations that the acknowledgement of, well, okay, yes, well, yeah, slaves are humans. They're 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 in the image of God. But three fifths. But yeah, they're not quite what we are, you know. And then, and I did. I guess I'd never read this about Lincoln, um, but I didn't realize when he was a little boy in Kentucky, his family were Baptists. I didn't know that about him. I didn't know that either. I didn't either. And Meacham talks about how Lincoln, the the pastor of that little, it was. I mean, he was a not really more of a pastor like me, but just more of a a lay person who did the preaching, but who kind of worked in multiple churches. But nevertheless, well, he was a person who did not believe in slavery. He thought it was against the scripture. And 
and how that's in Lincoln's mind, even as a little boy, without understanding all the implications of what that might mean politically or, you know, in, 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 in ultimately one day for him when he's actually at a place to have to decide, <laughs> you know, right. what route am I going to take? How do I, how do I address this country that's so divided? Because he had the pressures of people saying, well, just compromise. You know, if you just compromise and we can kind of keep this thing together. And he finally arrived at a place where he just said, I can't, I can't compromise on this one. <laughs> Mm. This is either total victory or total defeat. Well, that was a fateful decision, particularly for the president (laughs) to make. But but whispering in his ear, even though Lincoln wasn't necessarily a devout Christian by our standards today, certainly, but there was there was this Christian acknowledgement of what you just described in his childhood that he never could escape, you know, and praise God for that, you know, that Amen. that's what was being proclaimed. And so think about it, in the ancient world, it was even not, I mean, it was worse. And I mean, it's terrible in the Civil War, but, when it, but in the ancient world, it was even worse to where a, someone born as a slave was not really even human. That wasn't even, that wasn't even a question. <laughs> right. Know? And so for Genesis to open with, well, actually, men and women, men and women, completely valuable before God. And I love that about Genesis 2. Nothing is said about Eve bearing children, you know. Yeah, it's not, not about her utility yeah, no, in any way. No, she's not valuable here for that. She's just valuable because she's human standing She's here. valuable because God. Yeah. God said so, you know. And it's good. It's very good, actually. Well, what a, you know, what a, um, a, a firm foundation upon which to build a theology of humanity. Just pages one and two. Right. Think about it, of the Bible. So, yeah, I, I love it all, you know. And then, you know, we we start talking about man being, you know, human, humanity is living. And, and I, th- I think the one thing that I wanted, I hope I communicated well Sunday, because I do get this question, so well, why... So why did God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden? Why, 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 why did He have to do that? You know, why do you why do you tempt humans? You know, mm. as if God's tempting. But you know what I mean. That's the question I get asked a lot, and um, and I just think that's a misunderstanding. I I, I love the the view that this is a a demonstration, if you will, of the fact that human beings are spiritual people. We have a spiritual dimension to us. As connected to our agency, if you will, as 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 free agents, um, and so, well, the only opportunity to express that <laughs> is is if you can fail, you know, if right. you can go your own way, if you can choose that maybe God's path is not the path you want. Well, that that's a demonstration of your spirituality, and so another thing I marvel at about humans, at human beings, at now here we are in 2023. Um, if you don't believe human beings are spiritual, then you're just not paying attention. <laughs> you know, definitely not. <laughs> all over the world, um, we're just spiritual people. There's a hunger in us that is longing for expression, and I think the acknowledgement of that in Genesis two is powerful to me. And the way the story's told is it draws you into this incredible story, even though Genesis three is going to be a sad tale. What well, I get that. Um, but, but the whole concept of that God created us when He breathes the breath of life into us, when He decides we're in His image, well, there's a spiritual dimension to us that 
distinguishes us from the rest of humanity. You know, um, um, Derek Kidner says the rest of creation basically marches forward in what he calls um, a bondage of obedience or something like that. You know, in other words, well, the heavens are going to declare the glory of God. They can't help it. <laughs> you know, that's just, it's what they do. But we... We don't have to. Yeah, we're partners, you know. It's different for us. And and I think having those options, um, and again, it's the beauty of, of the way the story's told. Um, okay, so you're here in this paradise and there it is. There's two. There's two gates, almost. You know, two, two ways, and um, told in the form of two trees. So now what? You know, which which gate are you going to choose? You know, mm-hmm. Basically, which which path are you going to be on? And um, and I love how that to me demonstrates our um, our spiritual dimension. You know. Yeah. And and you know I've talked about how some people think well okay. You know, we're going into the you know, Western civilization has progressed so much. Surely we're past the whole religion thing. Sure, yeah. surely we've gotten past that. You know, and then you look at uh, the world today, and India is about to be the most populous nation on the planet, and it's the most religious nation yeah. on the planet. Well, you know, what's interesting about what you just said too, is it's the formal name for this idea that we're just getting more secular. It's called the secularization thesis. And it was actually a Christian sociologist from Germany named Peter Berger Mm -hmm. who coined Coined that that, and came up with that theory that Western society will just become more and more secular. Mm -hmm. Peter Berger, who creates that idea and formalizes it with a study, actually recanted it. Did you know that? No. uh, (laughs) So he actually recants the secularization thesis and he says, I was wrong. I was wrong. (laughs) Yeah. It's actually pluralization. We're just getting more and more religious. exactly what I would say. (laughs) And so the very person who came up with the idea said, no, I was wrong. Yeah, Yeah, and I've never really recanted it. Disregard. Because you read about him offering that idea and you think, okay. It's kind of like, um, um, I think I've mentioned this to you before. I can't remember, but Sidney Alstrom wrote this book, The Religious Religious History of American People. It's kind of used to be the standard work of American Christianity when I was in seminary. Well, he's writing it from Yale in the 1960s, and his last section of his book is like the end of Christendom. You know, the, this, this whole thing's over. I mean, the world's on fire. They've killed Kennedy. They've killed Martin Luther King. They've killed Robert Kennedy. I mean, he's looking at it and going, okay, this great experiment that we had in America, this whole Christian thing was awesome. It's over now, and I'm not sure what's coming next, but there's no, um, there is basically no hope. It's, it's, it's got this kind of fatalistic view to it. And if, if he were alive today, he would be shocked at the, you know, the rise of evangelicalism and the prominence of, you know what I mean? Just not necessarily that, or even Christian nationalism, not that I believe in it, but I mean, I think Alstrom would not believe right. <laughs> that all this is still around because in his mind, it was all done. You know, it had run its course. And I think he even saw Kennedy being elected president as if the Protestant dream has died <laughs> <laughs> you know, now you've got a Roman Catholic. I'm, I'm putting words in his mouth, but I'm just saying the whole thing is just really who knows where it goes now. And even when you get him, they killed him. And so it's like uh, just this fatalistic view. And I think you have to be careful sometimes pronouncing those when you're in the moment because, man, who knows? You may be on the on the cusp of a whole brand new wave of something that you just pronounced the death of. <laughs> right. Know? And I'm glad to hear that about Berger. I didn't know that. I've, Like I said, I've read his theory, and then, you, and then you read others who've kind of piled on, you know, just the secularization of Europe, the secularization of America, um, you know, and how 
um, you know, the, the, the naked public square now, you know, there's, there's just no, there's no voice mm-hmm. in the public square anymore. Well, things have changed. I would admit that. Sure, they have. We're, we're in a different era than when I was even growing up. When I was growing up, Christianity had a favored seat at every table. Okay, well, maybe that's changed. But to discount it is, is to, in my opinion, yeah. misread yeah. <laughs> the signs, you know. No, we live in a very religious and if not formally religious and spiritual world, I mean, you could ask our college minister, mm-hmm. Connor. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many twenty somethings do you know who are into crystals and horoscopes? <laughs> right. And that's the, I know. it's a spirituality. It is. I mean, I could just walk across UTA's campus mm-hmm. right now, and I mm-hmm. guarantee I'd bump into probably people of at least five different religions. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I was about three or four years ago. I was. I guess it's been. I was flying home from somewhere. Like maybe I can't remember if it was Africa or Italy or whatever had a really bright young man who was next to me on the plane. We had a seat in between us. So, you know, we uh, we kind of had left each other alone for a lot of the flight. But at some point, he just asked me a question, and, and he was from India. And I was Ph.D. from UTA. When he found out I was from Arlington, he asked me, where do you live? I said, Arlington. And he was like, oh, my goodness, you know. And <laughs> that's where I, I did my Ph.D. there in, in, like, electrical engineering or something. Really bright young man. Well, then he wanted to know, so what do you do there, you know? And I said, well, actually, um, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor of a church. He goes, oh, I've always wanted to talk to a pastor. I've never talked to one. And then he said, so you're a Christian, <laughs> which I thought was an interesting follow-up question. And, uh, <laughs> so that's so why we talked for a while. But anyway. It's a valid question yeah, in India. It could be. And uh, what was funny was when I, he just asked me some things about Jesus, you know, his, you know, his curiosity. And and so we get to the end of the flight, and he said, um, he said something like, um, will it be okay with you? I don't want to be offensive to you. He said, but when I get home, he said, years ago when I was a a young student, um, my mother, he said, she gave me this little image of Mary and the mother of Jesus. And he said, so I have an altar of the gods that I pray to and worship. And he said, I I put Mary there off to the side because she just always intrigued me because I, you know, I know a little bit about her story. He said, but after listening to you today, what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to buy a new um, image of Jesus. And and would this offend you if I just move Jesus in to the section with the other gods that I have? He said I won't move Mary because I I don't know what to do with Mary, but I feel like after listening to you that Jesus should be there. Would that would that be okay? It was sweet, genuine, and I thought to myself, I mean, we're landing. It's very Hindu. Yeah, and I'm thinking, what a what a profound question from a brilliant young man, and, and I loved his humility. The last thing he wanted to do was offend a Christian. You know, he didn't want that, but he also didn't want to offend Jesus, <laughs> you know, and so uh, it led to a little more conversation about, you know, my take on some of that and how, but but it was just fascinating to me that he, the last thing he did was reject it. You know what I mean? In other words, here's this brilliant PhD electrical engineering, and he didn't just go, well, that, all that's meaningless. No, his was more of what you just described. Well, can I add this to what I already have? <laughs> you know, so the 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 flourishing of pluralism, religious pluralism in our day, is is a challenge. But I don't think it should surprise us because we're spiritual people. Yeah, you know? we just are. God's created us with that dimension, and it feels like it's got to have an outlet. You know, I think you could even argue that that there are some people in our culture, who who live it out in ways that may not be necessarily traditionally connected to religion, but the fervor and the passion and the, you know, the, 
believing in some cause, if you want to call it that, is there still. And mm-hmm. it it's just manifests itself in so many other ways, even if it's not in a traditional religious sense. Um, yeah. I recognize it, you know, when I see it. And uh, it's fascinating to me. It is. I think we were definitely made for that search, I think, for meaning, for mm-hmm. a st- I hate to say it this way, but a story that makes sense of our story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know what you mean by that, though. Yeah. But that's mm-hmm. that's why you see people trying to make sense of their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's why you see kids bringing back horoscopes, mm-hmm. which is odd. <laughs> right. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a desire to believe in something, though, I guess is what I would say. And uh, I, just, <clears throat> I just shouldn't be surprised by it. You know, no. it's it's a powerful force. It's there from the very beginning, and um, and it's gonna. This, this, I mean, this is going to be a. You know, we're this next Sunday. We're going to skip all the way to John, so we're gonna. We're bypassing <laughs> a lot of stuff. <laughs> we are, but I hope I can <laughs> sum it up a little bit, because where we're headed is a conversation about how okay, we've got the groundwork of Genesis one and two. It's incredible. We know the story of Genesis three, and so now. What I want to, I'm going to start preaching on are okay. So, what about things as they should be because of what God created? Creates this magnificent world, human beings in His image, reflecting His glory. So, what has what has happened? What about um, justice? Mm. What, what about truth? What about love? What what's happened? And why is it still there, that impulse, that 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 um that idea, that ideal, that desire, and yet it's it's not in its full expression. So we're going to grapple a little bit over these next few weeks with just how we're looking at a very real world today, and yet there still seems to be within us a desire to make it ideal. Yep. And I think that's all connected to Genesis one and two. Yeah. That's what I would say. I agree. That's where we're headed. I'm excited. And I think from a missions and evangelism perspective, if you're listening, I think there can be a tendency when we hear about this student you met on a plane or Mm -hmm. college students being into horoscopes and crystals or just any other religion that you encounter, we can can have a tendency to want to roll our eyes or lean Mm -hmm. back or just, you know, Mm -hmm. discount it, walk away. Mm -hmm. But I want to challenge you, if you're listening, to lean in. To those mm-hmm. moments because what that is is a, it's an attempt by someone to make sense of this spiritual desire they feel mm-hmm. and if you can lean in, in that moment you have a chance to ask meaningful questions mm-hmm. to listen to learn mm-hmm. uh, but also to have an opportunity to share the hope that you have in Christ mm-hmm. um, so instead of rolling your eyes and leaning back or thinking about how what you've heard is ridiculous mm-hmm. <laughs> lean in engage it mm-hmm. um, People want spiritual meaning. Mm -hmm. And I think they're open to spiritual conversations if they're done without judgment. You know, if they're done, you know, and to me, that's kind of what I was trying to say Sunday morning in general. You know, pick a topic right now that's controversial. There's so many of them, you know, and somehow we've got to find our way in it. We've got to, my heart, to me is to be always compassionate, gracious, loving, and patient. But to hold on to what I believe to be true, but I can do that in the right spirit, and I just think you get much more of a fairer hearing. Um, I don't respond well to anger. 
myself. Most people don't. I just don't. And I think it's, as I've said before, I think it's okay to get mad about something. It's just not okay to stay mad, (laughs) you know? And so if somehow (laughs) we can figure out how to, okay, I got a little bit of indignation. Good. Acknowledge it. But that's not, that's not to express that. I mean, if, you know, if you're in the middle of, uh, you know, some massive, you know, the civil rights movement and, you and, you know, sometimes Martin Luther King would would sound passionate. He rarely sounded angry, you know, mm. rarely angry. Passionate, yes, but rarely angry because I think he knew people only respond to an angry voice for so long. Um, and so at least the kind of people you, you want to be with. So I would say the same thing to our people. If you're listening to this, let's let's think about all the issues we have to face and ask God to cultivate within us a compassionate, gracious, loving, patient tenor. And then I think you get the fair hearing eventually to share truth. Um, so it's, it's, it's an acquired skill. That's what I'd say. We're going to practice this yeah. year <laughs> and in the years to come. Amen. Amen. So thank you for listening, everyone. I hope it's been a great episode for you. And I am looking forward to picking up with the book of John. Um, it's going to be exciting, exciting time. Thanks for listening to the Tell Me More podcast today. You can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice, or you can visit us at fbca.org to find out more information about the podcast and our church. Thanks for listening.